0: The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. News Talk 850 WFTL presents Joyce Kaufman No Restraint. Here's Joyce Kaufman. On this week's No Restraint Podcast, I've got to address... Some issues that really just keep coming up over and over again. And no, I'm not going to talk about transgender anymore. Okay, maybe not never again, but not this week. This week, I have to talk about this whole never ending defund the police and make fun of the police movement that exists in this country. Just this weekend, we saw a crazy protest in Atlanta. And I just don't get it because Atlanta is the kind of city that really could use adequate police protection. So they were putting together a facility where officers would be trained. I thought it was a good idea to train police officers so that they would be able to handle all kinds of situations and hopefully not always have to draw a gun. But apparently that didn't occur to the people who decided to go to Cop City, as they called it, and wreak havoc. And this is the kind of behavior that Antifa and some of these other groups, including some of these climate activists who have completely lost their minds at Davos, they think it's okay now to perform these sort of random acts of violence against authority figures. Now, trust me, I'm all for protests. I'm in particularly... Uh, when I look at the life of Dr. Martin Luther King, as we did last week, nonviolent protest seems to be very effective. So why on earth do we burn police cars and do all this crazy stuff, which never seems to get the desired result? Last year, an officer in Richmond, California, had tip Leighton Woodhouse. Well, Brian Landy, this officer in the Richmond, California, police department, had to draw his gun to stop two drunk guys from clobbering each other to death with metal rods. In 2015, he threatened deadly force to stop a fight between two more drunk guys. One was armed with a hatchet, another with a wrench. In 2015, another occasion, he drew his firearm to arrest a man hopping a backyard fence fleeing the scene of a burglary. None of these was remarkable in Richmond, which is a working-class city just east of San Francisco that's a notorious place for drive-by shootings and break-ins and carjackings and countless petty crimes. When I asked Landy if he often had to unholster his gun, a standard-issue Glock 17, he said he'd done it so many times that they all bleed into each other. Luckily, he's never had to pull the trigger. But things could have easily gone south. If a suspect makes a suspicious move or pulls something out of their pocket and looks like a gun, it happens more than you'd think. He would have had less than a quarter of a second to make the most awful decision of his life, whether to kill another human being. You're an incredibly, inauspicious situation, Landy said, the chance of making a good faith mistake is pretty high. What that means is that if you're a cop, you've got to be confident that if a tragedy occurs, if a life is taken that should not have been taken, your chief, your city council, all the powers that be will at least treat you fairly, hear you out, and ensure that justice is served. But these days, a growing number of police and well, all kinds of security personnel as well, and military, aren't so sure that anybody's got their back. Making the wrong decision is now a lot more likely to land you in prison. It's not tenable for your family. So in early 2022, guys like Richard Landis started thinking about quitting their dream job, and he was hardly alone. A 2021 survey showed that police departments all across the nation saw resignations jump by 18% and retirements jump by 45%. And over the previous year, with hiring decreasing by 5%, defund the police, the LA Police Department had been losing 50 officers a month to retirement, more than the city can replace with recruits. Oakland, lost about seven per month in 2021, with the number of officers sinking below the city's legally mandated minimum. And the list goes on and on. Chicago has lost more cops than it has in two decades. New Orleans is backfilling its shortfall of officers with civilians. New York is losing more police officers than it has since such figures began being recorded. Minneapolis and Baltimore have similar stories. St. Louis, one of the most dangerous cities in America, has lost so many cops that there's a seven-foot-tall, 10-foot-wide pile of uniforms from outgoing officers at police headquarters called Mount Exodus. And in San Francisco, just across the bay from Richmond, The police department has seen 50 officers out of a force of fewer than 2,000 take off for smaller suburban departments, according to Lieutenant Tracy McRae, the head of the city's police union. That was a lot of talent for us, McRae said. They were great, bright new cops. A couple of them were born and raised in the city. These were the kind of officers that advocate for reform, say they want more reform. Cops from the communities they police, black cops, Latino cops, all of their roots they had here, and they just up and left. A big part of what's prompting police to leave America's big cities is the perception the public has turned against them. A 2020 poll showed that only 7% of police officers would advise their kids to go into law enforcement. 83% of those who wouldn't recommend it cited lack of respect for the profession. Suddenly, everybody is telling us how to do our jobs. They're saying we're biased and racist, only want to hurt black and brown communities, said McRae, who is black. These officers worked in these communities, were invested in these communities, and suddenly people who don't know us are saying you're this and you're that the shift in police officers' perception of how they're viewed by the public happened gradually. It started with the first Black Lives Matter protests of 2013 after the shooting death of Trayvon Martin and the acquittal of the man who killed him, George Zimmerman. There were more BLM demonstrations in 2014 following the deaths of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri and Eric Garner in New York. Then came the 2015-2016 Democratic presidential primaries in which BLM played a prominent role. And then in late May of 2020, George Floyd, a black man, was killed by a white police officer, Derek Chauvin, and was caught on video. The incident ignited protests across the country, a racial reckoning, they said, and soon after reform. In some cities, including Portland, Oregon and Columbus, Ohio, Local governments set up police review boards with the power to subpoena police records and oversee day-to-day policing. States, including Illinois, Minnesota, and Oregon, tightened the use of force standards. New Mexico and Minnesota required officers to intervene if another officer was using what might be deemed unreasonable physical force. It became popular, even fashionable, for politicians in progressive circles to flaunt their anti-police credentials. In Minneapolis, where George Floyd was killed, the city council resolved to, quote, begin the process of ending the Minneapolis Police Department, end quote. They reversed course after crime surged. In New York, after winning the Democratic congressional primary, now Representative Jamal Bowman tweeted, police officers have sworn to protect and served the institution of white supremacy. A month later, the ACLU tweeted that policing is rotten to its core and has always been a racist institution in the United States. In Portland, Christina Narayan, the legislative director for Tina Kotek, who was then Oregon Speaker of the House and is now the governor, was arrested while participating in anti-police protests at which Molotov cocktails were thrown at the cops. All of this revealed a disconnect between progressives and much of the rest of the country, including many Democrats. A 2020 New York Times poll showed that 63% of registered voters opposed cutting police budgets, while 55% of Biden supporters favored it. When I was a cop, we were afraid we might mess up and get in trouble, said Peter Moscos, a former Baltimore police officer who teaches at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York. But you had to do something wrong. Now cops are getting in trouble for doing exactly what they're supposed to do. The rules of the game changed, said Brian Landy, the Richmond police officer. He was referring to a 2019 California law that further limits when cops can use force, and more broadly, to the shift in thinking among democratic elites. Landy went on, let's say you see a guy, he's just robbed a bank, he's got a gun, he's running now into a preschool. Once upon a time, that would have been enough to justify using force. Now you've got to be confident that a crime is imminent, and sometimes you've only got milliseconds to figure that out. If you get it wrong, And if the skin color of the cop and the victim suit the narrative that cops are propping up the institution of white supremacy and wantonly snuffing out black bodies, you could be prosecuted as a murderer. Other people who don't live in your community, but who are speaking on behalf of your community, don't know what the heck they're talking about. Black Lives Matter was talking about putting ambassadors on the street. Where are they at? Referring to one of San Francisco's most violent neighborhoods, she added, haven't seen one darn member of Black Lives Matter patrolling the Bayview, making sure police aren't hurting and killing black people. Landy added, if you're a cop, you're like, okay, well, I guess I'm not gonna put myself in situations where that's likely to occur. So I'm not going to go and make traffic stops in places and of people That I think might likely be carrying firearms because I don't have to get that decision right. That's just too hard. In Richmond, the politicians were signaling loud and clear: we don't like cops. After the riots in Ferguson, and especially after the murder of George Floyd, the Richmond City Council cut the police budget, forcing hiring freezes. Council members also threatened to slash officers' salaries. By 20%. By last spring, the Richmond Police Department had lost so many officers that those who remained were forced to work overtime 40 to 60 hours per month. That requirement came on top of being forced to work back to back shifts when unexpected vacancies opened up. Investigations and traffic enforcement more or less stopped. Burnt out officers were just doing patrols, driving around passively waiting for something to happen. When Landy tried to recruit new officers, cops told him they preferred to go somewhere with a friendlier local government, where they wouldn't have to fear getting laid off or having their salaries and benefits reduced. Many went to Napa and Sonoma counties, the wine country. Last September, Landy followed suit and left Richmond. I felt very conflicted about it, he said. Residents of Richmond are disproportionately poorer and disproportionately victims of violent crimes. Well, let me tell you something. Landy's one of the most thoughtful and educated and experienced cops in the Bay Area. He's published academic papers on how to train the police to interact more effectively with the public. He has studied this question, police community relations, while he was on a stint at the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, which is part of the Pentagon but research hadn't been enough for Landy. As an academic sociologist, I learned quickly that my ability to make a difference was pretty limited, he said. As a police officer, he went on, I could make a difference in people's lives, and I wasn't bad at all. He loved his job in Richmond, but the calculus of policing had changed. In August, as Landy was preparing to leave, Richmond saw four murders in the span of a week. In the same time period, Oakland to the south experienced five murders in three days, and the following month, three homicides in a single hour. Landy transferred to Kensington, a 15-minute drive away. Kensington is filled with California craftsman-style bungalows, mid-century ranch houses, and Spanish-style villas, with Priuses and Teslas out front, and decks with gorgeous views of the San Francisco Bay out back. Black Lives Matter signs are everywhere, reflecting Kensington residents' solidarity with working-class black people in cities like Richmond, even as Richmond has become less safe as a result of the changes that movement has ushered in. Life is good for Officer Landy. He's now Sergeant Landy. His job involves far fewer risks. Much of his day is filled with administrative work at the station. When he goes out on patrol, he mostly writes parking tickets but he is not optimistic. An enormous amount of damage has been done, he said. Instead of seeing real investment in policing like what we see in Europe, we've seen a massive disinvestment. In August of 2022, President Biden announced his Safer America plan in response to rising crime. Among other things, it includes plans to hire 100,000 more police officers. That upset the ACLU, which disparaged the plan as more criminalization and incarceration, and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, which asserted without providing evidence that adding police officers would only victimize black people. Peter Moskous, the former Baltimore police officer now teaching at John Jay College, was mystified by progressives who insist that the single greatest threat faced by black Americans is systemic racism. Congratulations, said Moskous, who has called for legalizing drugs in response to the drug war's ineffectiveness and its disproportionate impact on young black men. You've increased the black murder rate. You're giving blacks worse policing through this transfer of cops and doing it smugly in the name of racial justice. These kinds of errors cost lives and they cost the most precious lives, those of the poor and those of the predominantly disenfranchised. I also wanted to talk a little bit about California's governor, Gavin Newsom, and his wife. That's right, his wife, Siebel Newsom, and what's actually being done in California, how Jennifer Siebel Newsom used taxpayer dollars to trade with herself, her nonprofit organization, and her for-profit business. The organization refuses to disclose how much of their screening revenues came from California public schools. California Governor Gavin Newsom and his wife, Jennifer Siebel Newsom, are the dream team. He runs the state, and she's a nonprofit founder, entrepreneur, and filmmaker. While her husband attends to state business, Siebel Newsom engages in her passion, advancing gender justice through her charitable nonprofit, The Representation Project. According to tax documents, the organization is committed to building a thriving and inclusive society through films, education, and social activism. Open Books previously reported that while the governor engaged in the highly unethical practice of soliciting a thousand state vendors for $10.5 million in campaign cash, the first partner, Jennifer Siebel Newsom, Solicited state vendors and the governor's campaign donors for large gifts to her charity, the Representation Project. However, Newsom's charity shouldn't have been soliciting anyone for donations throughout most of 2022. Last week, Open the Books investigation broke the story that the Representation Project was not in compliance with the California Charitable Solicitation Act. Now it's clear that the charity spent last year engaged in big-money fundraising events, with corporate executives and philanthropists while its charitable filings were delinquent with the state. Then, the Newsom nonprofit scrambled to submit their proper registration. Working with the California Attorney General, a process that normally takes days or weeks was completed in hours. So, Just what does Jennifer Siebel Newsom's charity do with the full support of her husband, the governor, and underwritten by the wealthy California establishment? Siebel Newsom, through her nonprofit, The Representation Project, has released four films advocating gender justice. The films are leased for screenings to individuals, corporations, and schools, and come with their own lesson plans. Schools spend between $49 and $599 to screen these movies to children. Jennifer Siebel Newsom is credited as a writer and director on each of these films. Two of the movies feature Gavin Newsom himself, and many of the lesson plan activities are oriented towards engaging children in social and political activism. Because of Gavin Newsom's role in these films and because licenses are sold to schools, which the governor is responsible for funding with tax dollars, auditors that opened the books felt the organization deserved further scrutiny. Who's watching? 2.6 million students in 5,000 schools, according to the Representations Project's impact report. The organization's film curricula are being used in over 5,000 schools in all 50 states. The Representation Project claims over 11,200 copies of the curricula have been distributed, reaching more than 2.6 million students. Tax records show that since 2012, the nonprofit has generated $1,483,000 in film screening revenue, although it's unclear how much money came from schools versus other sources. We asked the representation project for the number of California schools that purchased a screening license and received no response. Auditors at openthebooks.com watched Newsom's movies and read the lessons plans. What they found was at times shocking, sexually explicit images, political boosterism, and something called the gender-bred person. Meet Misrepresentation, part of a middle school curriculum. Misrepresentation's curriculum links to age-appropriate video clips in its K-12 through lesson plans and says that the full film is rated PG-14. Certainly, parents may still object to clips from the age-appropriate film like the animated upside-down stripper that we've seen. The film features strong language and women dress provocatively. Carolyn Heldman, who is now executive director of Newsom's nonprofit, described women's role in action movies as the fighting sex toy. Only she didn't use the word sex. She used the F word. Actress Daphne Zuniga, famous for Melrose Place and the film's parody Spaceballs, suggested women should tell those you know what's with penis implants in response to being told to get plastic surgery. Middle school children are served images of upside-down strippers with little left to the imagination. Then it gets worse. Newsom's film, "The Mask You Live In," features the website addresses of porn sites, including PornHub, massive cams, BDSM, TripleX and Brazzers.com. The pornographic images displayed in the film are tagged with descriptions such as Domination, Face F, Kinky Couples, and Dirty Brunettes. Newsom included images of naked or mostly naked women being slapped, handcuffed, and brutalized in pornographic videos. The pictures are graphic, even when blurred. Screenshots of those scenes can be seen if you go to the Open the Books website. These jarring pictures are displayed with the corresponding porn website addresses, providing a roadmap for future exploration. The film seems to justify their harmful content by saying that 34% of youth online receive unwanted pornographic exposure. However, 100% of the youth or anyone else receive unwanted or unwarranted pornographic exposure watching Newsom's movies. In 2019, one parent filed a complaint about a screening of The Mask You Live In for his 12-year-old daughter's class at Creekside Middle School in California. In an interview with the Sacramento Bee, the father said, Some of the images, when slowed down, were not blurred. And even when they are blurred, it's obvious what's going on. It's absolutely profane and disgusting. An investigation found a substitute teacher accidentally screened the full version of the film rather than an age-appropriate version. However, the Representation Project recommends the full version for ages 15 and older. Gavin Newsom himself provides interview commentary for misrepresentation and The Great American Lie, two other films. Newsom speaks three times in Misrepresentation and is portrayed as a champion of women's rights. One of the first things I did when I came to San Francisco as mayor is I appointed a female police chief and appointed a female fire chief. And then he probably cut their budgets, right? Getting paid by schools to portray your politician husband as a stand-up guy To captive children in the classroom was such a winning idea, Siebel Newsom deployed it again in The Great American Lie. Here, Newsom makes five appearances to deliver political talking points, including, at the end of the day, a budget is a set of values. Budget reflects your values. This notion of interdependence, that we're all in this together, that we all rise and fall together, is absolutely true. We're not bystanders in this world, We have the ability to step up and solve big problems. We've done that in the past. It's just a question of prioritization of political will. Siebel Newsom's provided companion curriculum requires student discussion of Gavin Newsom's points and are told to vote and help others vote for politicians who show empathy through their support care policies. Call to action from the Great American Lie curriculum for high school and college students. Students are told to vote and help others vote for candidates who show empathy. Schools which receive funding from the state pay the representation project to show this movie, so they use taxpayer funded class time to facilitate these lessons. In July of 2022, Gavin Newsom signed a budget of $128 billion for state schools and community colleges. And don't let me get started on the gender-bred person. That's right. Multiple lesson plans from the Representation Project promote radical notions of gender and sexuality. One such lesson for middle and high schoolers includes the gender-bred person who aims to show children how biological sex, gender expression, sexual attraction, and gender identity exist on a spectrum which can be mixed and matched. While kindergartners are spared the gender-bred person in their curriculum, they're offered similar lessons on gender identity, including genders other than boy and girl. Kids are forced to watch the Representation Project films in schools, and they shouldn't be subjected to such garbage. Never mind at taxpayer expense. What are you gonna do about this? You can start by making sure this stuff is not being used in your children and grandchildren's schools. That is a responsibility